the word of God. Today, testing anything and everything is the topic for today. Testing anything and everything. I wasn't quite sure which one should come first. Whether it's testing everything and anything or anything and everything. But whichever direction you take, there is a justification for this, for this, for each one of this word here. Testing anything and everything. Let's pray. Loving Father, we bless you, Lord, as we come, Lord, to the reading and the studying and the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. We are cert- I am certainly unqualified, but Lord, I trust in your Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. And you say, Lord, you will not leave us as orphans, but you will send us another yourself, the Paracletus. You will send us the helper who will teach us all things. We trust you, Lord, and pray that, Lord, you open up your scripture and expound it in our heart. Your word is already blessed, but we pray that the soil itself will be blessed. Therefore, for the word of God to yield, to bear fruits that are, Lord, acceptable to you. We give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Testing anything and everything. We'll have uh, about three or four scriptures to read. The first one is in John. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. We can even read to verse 4. <clears throat> that first John chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, say. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard, was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's interesting that uh, as we are this is not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's a command. It's a commandment to test every spirit. Whether there from God. It's a commandment. Why? Because many false prophets has gone in the world. It's interesting that straight away the Antichrist is, man- is mentioned. So in the New Testament, whenever the Bible teaches on deception, 
the Antichrist is always around the subject. And the false prophet. Always. It seems to me that because the Antichrist would be a masterpiece of Satan, that satanic trinity I mentioned last week, that parody of the trinity will inspire rebellion against God and will entertain, maintain, and promote lawlessness and error. One of the tactics of doing that is to infiltrate the body of Christ. Everything we've been looking before, you know, from this series, you know, perilous time, etc., we, see, we saw things. The impression was that those things were happening externally. But the last trait and feature we saw last time, with people having a form of godliness but denying it power, at that point, we're now talking about religion. So that is the spiritual dimension of it. Aiming to infiltrate the church under the disguise of godliness, but there is no substance inside. The Bible says, but denying its power. And I think last week we shared a little bit about what it meant by denying its power, the power of godliness. This warning we're having here from John, it's not a one-off. It's not a diversion. No. It's at the core in the New Testament with regard to the end time. Remember in Matthew 24, the disciples came to the Lord and they say, when will all these things happen? The things he had just described from verse 1 to 3. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end time? Why? The Lord did not say there will be wars and famine. No. Take heed that no one deceives you. First characteristic of the end time, deception. Matthew 24, verse 4 to 5. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many shall come and in my name. In his name, and then further down, many will come and we say they are Christ. Many false Christ. Christ means the anointed one. Christ is the one who gives, baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's called the anointed one, and he's the one who gives the Spirit without measure. Have you noticed how many false pastors are claiming today to be able themselves from their own power and will, anytime they want to anoint other people. False Christ. Because Christ means the anointed one. They go around telling everybody that they can anoint when they want. That's not what we see in the New Testament. People gather together and were praying to God who baptized with the Holy Spirit, who gives the Spirit without measure. He said, tarry there, stay there and pray. 
And when the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. So they were relying on God. Even Paul himself prayed to God for God to visit people for the visitation. So you have multiple, so many, 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 many false prophets going everywhere and telling people that they can anoint, they can give. That's the meaning of Christ. That's what Christ meant by many false Christ will rise. The appearing of the Antichrist will come, as the Bible says, with so many lying, counterfeits, signs and wonders. Again, to condition people's mind, to prepare people to the miraculous. By the time he fully appears with the false prophet, the Bible says he will do astonishing things, even to have fire coming from heaven in the sight of all men. Try to imagine the scene on Sky News. Try to imagine that. Someone making fire falling from outside and doing spectacular stuff. People will believe. Do you know what Antichrist is? Antichrist in French we say ante. In French is ante. Antichrist. But we've been influenced by you. And we say Antichrist now. But it's ante. Ante means he who comes before. Before Christ. But he's also anti because he opposes Christ. Not only that, but he also posed in lieu of Christ. When people came to Jesus Christ and asked him, tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? What did he say? Did he say yes? He said, go and see. You know, people are recovering their sight. Not the lamb are working and the good news is preached, etc. Quoting from Isaiah 61. What the Messiah ought to be. In other words, the Messiah which is the Hebrew equivalent of Christ. Antichrist is also anti-Messiah. So he needs that extra. He needs to demonstrate that kind of supernatural power in order to be received and accepted. And he's using his assistant, his acolyte, his disciple to do that work. When I thought about these things, you never heard about anti-Krishna, have you? Anti-Buddha? Anti-Sakyamuni? No? Anti-Plato? No? Even no anti-Hitler? No? Only anti-Christ. Because it's the world against God. And you and I are of Christ. And through our lives, it has to be demonstrated that we belong to God. That we believe and we belong to the one who was introduced in this earth as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Therefore, we should hate sin because we belong to Christ. From the passage we've read here, testing anything and everything, the key Tool, if I may call it like that. Testing tool. The key is the denial of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh in this world. That's the key. 
If anyone does not confess that, is not the spirit of God at work. It's a different spirit. Now, we may think, oh, it's a small thing. Just, well, anyone can say Jesus come in the flesh. But, you know, maybe. I don't know if the Antichrist will be able to say that. I don't know. But it seems a small thing. But, but there is more to it. Confessing that Jesus came in the flesh in this world means recognizing that God visited this earth. Because Jesus Christ was not just anybody. He was God manifest in flesh. That's what the Bible says. Without controversy, great is the mystery of holiness, godliness. God was manifest in flesh. That's the mystery of godliness. That's how we get saved. That's how we get to live in the newness of life. That's how we are sanctified, forgiven. And we have that blessed hope because God was manifest in flesh. God tabernacled on this earth. Now we begin to see that it's not just a small declaration. It's actually a recognition of Jesus Christ's deity. Now, this is very important because all the cults, all the secret societies, all the mysticism organizations, all of them without exception, have the name of Jesus in their books. It's a different Jesus. It's another Jesus, not the one here. Because we already told that there will be counterfeit fake Jesus. And you find them in religions. You find them in cults. Let me give you an example. The Jehovah Witnesses uses, you know that, the world translation. New World Translation, La Traduction du Monde Nouveau. Okay. And if you read that, I want to encourage you, I do that as part of my research. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Small g. And they build a doctrine on that. Jesus was created. Jesus is not equal. He's not God, etc., etc. Where the Lord Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Remember the Jewish people, they reacted and said, you're not even 50? And you say you were there. Before Abraham was, I am. Je suis, the existing one. The Jehovah Witnesses said, before Abraham was, I was. You see, there is a great effort that is made to bring Jesus down from what he is. This passage we're studying this morning, it's key. The Lord inspired the Apostle John. How we should test cults. 
all of them without exception, will have Jesus in their sacred books, but with a different status. In Islam, you find Jesus. Our daughter will like this. I was debating with a Muslim one day and he said to me, we Muslim, we are the, the true Jesus Christ disciples. I said, why? He said, because we keep a long beard and long robe and we don't eat pork. Viva Hollywood. <laughs> In Islam, they say that Jesus, God has no son. Those who have visited the dome of that mosque in Jerusalem, wherever it is, they say it's written in it. God has no son. And what does the Bible say? He who denied the son is, oh yes, the spirit of the Antichrist. So you see, those things are very important. Yet, we have leading Christians who are persuading the church. Oh, you see, we are all monotheists. We are all sons of Abraham. We worship the same God. We can come together in the name of peace. And Oh, but Jesus is being denied. The Bible clearly said, the one who denies the son doesn't have the father. And there's only one way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Now, you're removing Jesus from the equation and you're influencing the church and say, let's come together in the name of peace. we all descended of Abraham. Problems. And if you say, no, I'm going by the Bible, no. You're extremist. You're intolerant. Yes, we can come together. We can come together and pray together. But everyone will bring what he believes in. Okay, we'll put together. And as a Christian, I will say, Jesus Christ is uh, the only way, truth, and life. Everybody will say, no, cannot be. You know, all roads lead to Rome. You cannot say that. I say, but that's my religion. You're being intolerant with me. Is the world against the anointed one, Jesus Christ? Every spirit that does not confess, it doesn't say does not believe, confess. Because the confession the Bible is talking here is a confession that comes from the heart. Remember, if you believe in your heart and you confess from your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Savior, you will be saved. So we're not talking just about a passing statement. It's something that comes from inside. Not just a declaration, a statement from our lips. Now, where are we going with this? On one side, you have people who are spiritualizing everything and denying the humanity of Jesus Christ. That's a problem. On the other side, you have people who are denying the deity of Christ and they say he was just a human being and then there was something special that came on him and conferred to him the title of Christ. I.e., that can happen to anybody. And in that camp you find all the Gnosticist, you find the secret society, they are all, oh Christ, now, 
is Jesus Christ. And some people f- think that Christ is a nickname. <laughs> it's a divine title of Jesus Christ. It's not a nickname. <laughs> no. So, take heed that no one deceives you, for many shall come in my name. Many, many, many years ago, I just had become a Christian, and we were being taught from the book of Luke, and there was uh, a sister who was in the choir. In the midweek fellowship, she, you know, we were allowed to ask questions during the Bible study. She raised her finger, and then she said, I have a question, Pastor. Uh, someone had just told me that they saw Jesus in the market this morning. Would that be true? Well, we were de- discouraged. The pastor was discouraged. He was discouraged because he's been teaching these things for about three months. And for someone singing in the choir to come with such a question was absolutely hopeless for the pastor. He couldn't answer. He started coughing. He said, is this a believer from my congregation? We saw Jesus this morning doing some shopping. You know, what do you think about that? The pastor, huh? So that's the test. In Act 20, don't turn to it. You can if you want. Act 20, 28 to 30. The Apostle Paul, calling the elders from the church of Ephesus, warned them, take heed to the flock, to the church, to the flock, upon which the Holy Spirit has established you. To feed, to shepherd them. Be careful with the church which God purchased with his own blood. The church is not a joke. The church is not a social club. The church is the house of God. When we come here, when you come here, We come because we delight in being together and exalting Christ together. Because this is his house. And we are his household. We are members of his body. Paul told Timothy, if I delay, you should know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Which is the ground and the pillar of truth. So there is a learning process. When we become a Christian, we begin to learn bit by bit how to live in the church. How to live in obedience to Christ. There is a learning process. Paul told Timothy, you should know how to conduct. In other words, there is a different way of conducting outside the church by unbelievers. And when we become Christian, there is a way, the newness of life. Great is the mystery of godliness. So that mystery of godliness begins to manifest in our life and we begin to learn how to obey God and to live for him. Or rather, him living in us. The Bible calls that the newness of life. 
And that what is demonstrated by the baptism. I died with Christ, rose with Christ. Now walk in newness of life. If anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things, rubbish, passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, begin to deal with small resistance here and there, and they're dealing with that as we move along. He's perfecting us until we see him. And we shall be like him. There has to be a change. People who knew us 20 years ago before we we were Christian, if they see us today, they should be able to say, surely something has changed. That was the case in Zacchaeus. Salvation has entered. This kind of behavior was not there before. But what he's demonstrating now shows that salvation has entered this house. There must be a change. John the Baptist said, show by your deeds that things have changed in your life. Newness of life. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah as also prophesied in Isaiah 61. Remember in Luke chapter 4 from verse 16, Jesus Christ entered the synagogue. He took the book and he went on a place where this prophecy from Isaiah 61 was written. And he read it to his hearers. When he finished, he put the books aside. All the eyes were on him. And he said today, this word is fulfilled right in your eyes. The Messiah, Jesus. If anyone denies that, you cannot say you deny this and you love Jesus. It's impossible. Because that is himself saying that. And whenever people came to him, can you tell us openly, are you the Messiah? He never said, oh, no, 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 I'm not. So I say, go and tell what you see. Go and tell what you see. He never fought for that, Jesus. He wasn't desperate to demonstrate to people that he was God as something to rob or to steal. He wasn't desperate for that. He said, just see what I'm doing. Who can forgive sin? The Jewish, the Jews understood that. They say it was a blasphemy because he forgave sins. You are a man, you're making yourself God. He did not say I'm God. They saw what he said, what he, da- what he did, only God could. Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior, Titus 2.13. Jesus Christ is the eternal word that became flesh, John 1.1. John 1.14. The word became flesh. Remember in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And that God, that word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 1 John 1, 15. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between man and God, 2 Timothy 2, 5. Jesus Christ is the only name which saves, Act 4, 12. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Now, we've heard quite a few challenges and people say, well, Jesus Christ says the way, he never says the only way. What does the next sentence say? Anyone can help us? Thank you. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean? Easy. Easy. Well, if you come across someone who says that and you don't know your Bible, actually, actually, never say actually. No. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means the only. There's no other way. False prophet and deceiving spirit all agree on the idea of a generic God. Nobody's offended. Even Madonna, she can speak about God. Nobody's offended. She's received by the Pope in pomp. You know, it doesn't matter. You can go on the BBC. You can say God. You can swear. You can blaspheme. You can say God. However you want, nobody is offended. Deceiving spirits do the same. False religion do the same. They want everybody to agree on the generic concept of God. But we don't agree to that. Because our God is clearly identified. Clearly. Remember? I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my my help cometh from the Lord which made the heaven and the earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Let's start there. Number one. I will lift up my eyes to the hill from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He's the creator. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Is the God of Israel. God has honored our patriarch. It's not a nickname, it's one of his names now. When you pray to God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God wants to be known as that. That's the true God. If you deny that, it's a different God altogether. But people do not want us to receive that truth. They want us to be stuck and trapped into that generic concept of God. Which people will acclaim and quite happy with that and comfortable. We not. Now, there is only one way to the true God and that's Jesus. A sobering world now. Yes, we are commanded not to believe every spirit and to test spirit. However, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21, it says this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Mm. Testing all spirits does not mean growing in suspicion. I've been told that there are people who, you know, half of the time they are on the internet looking for conspiracy things. They invest quite a lot. They don't look at the Bible itself now. Anything that the Antichrist has done this, the Antichrist has done this, the Antichrist has done this. No real substance about the Bible itself now. 
The discernment the Bible is talking about here is not mere suspicion. Because if you do that, you will be depressed. You will have all these conspiracy, conspiracy theories. No substance. They will only increase the fear in you and distress. Do you remember what I told you many months before? That uh, I did not believe that uh, the vaccine was uh, the 666, at least for now. Even though it could be seen as a building block. One person say, really? I say, well, do you have a credit card in your pocket? I think it's more dangerous than the vaccine, your credit card. You, know, you don't see any problem with your credit card? No, only the vaccine. I said the vaccine had a lot of issues clinically. And I say people should be persuaded in their own minds. Seek the Lord wisdom. When I was saying that, I said, you remember, if I was Billy Graham, people would have listened. But in those days, certain pity. And there were great prophets everywhere. COVID-19 prophet. Where are they now? It's all gone quiet. All gone quiet. Nobody saw it coming, but everybody became a prophet when he came. And then he started fabricating and adjusting few. Oh, there was one in Israel who had predicted. Where is it? Where are the COVID-19 prophets? And everybody went like, oh, prophecy. And people made a lot of money from YouTube with views. Let's be considerate here and uphold the truth of the Bible. And let's live by the Bible. What is next? What's the next crisis? When the next things come, we go again. They make money, it all goes quiet. I'm telling you, there have been people who could not breathe because of conspiracy theories. You know, you send them John 3.16, you know, they send you an article from California. Or from, you send them John 4.14, they send you something from Frankfurt regarding this. Discernment is not mere suspicion. And usually there is a confusion between them. Sometimes amongst uh, now amongst the believer, that's quite difficult to say because the Holy Spirit is there. Let's amongst people, and people think that discernment means suspecting everything. Now, discernment we're talking about here is a supernatural inspiration, revelation from God about what our eyes cannot see. That's discernment. But the discernment is also obtained also through the word of God. You can also test things by the knowledge of the word of God. That cannot be. We've just been given a key tool, if I may call it like that. If someone comes and denies that Christ came in the flesh, we know already that 
is not of God. That's clearly taught in the Bible. That's discernment. There is also a call for to humility. In the area of discernment and uh, supernatural spiritual gifts, there is a need for humility. People have differing ministries, differing gifts given by God. If I don't understand, if I don't have, if the Holy Spirit does not manifest in my life in the way he manifests in your life, I should not be jealous. I should not begin to suspect you. Now, that's why you see entire denomination have just thrown the baby and the bathwater in the bin. No gift of the Holy Spirit is all past. Gone. What about where they are manifest? Are they demons? We've got a problem. We've got to resolve that. We don't need the gift of discernment, discerning of the Spirit. Really? The gift of prophecy? Yes, we need to test all things, but we should not despise prophecies. We need to be discerning. Where we do not fully understand something, give space for the Lord God to reveal. That was Paul's way of doing things. Because we don't know everything. We don't understand everything straight away. We have different level of understanding and different age in the Lord. But the Bible says, hold fast to what is good. Choisissez ce qui est bon. You know, take what is good for your edification. Do not be in the camp of those who reject everything and despise prophecies. No. Yet, we still need to keep an open eye spiritually. You see, it's sobering. It's a call to humility, to vigilance, to discernment, all those things. Now, if a prophecy is of God, it must be fulfilled. It must be fulfilled. Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. It must be fulfilled. Now, when it is fulfilled, that does not fully validate the minister and the ministry. Just because something has been fulfilled does not validate the truthfulness, the sufficiency of what is being said. That's only the second level of spiritual scrutiny. I love the word scrutiny, maybe influenced by my economic background. But there is a second level. The second level of scrutiny is the one found in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 to 3. Because the people ask this question. So how shall we know that one is a false prophet? The answer was, if anyone pretends to speak from God, and what they say does not come to pass, God had not spoken from them. 
we should not fear them. Oh, that means if it fulfilled what they've said, then can we just embrace them and receive everything? The answer is no. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. If it is fulfilled, and then by his life and his teaching, the prophet is leading the people astray and is telling people, let us go to other gods or idols. If that happened, and if the prophet is not producing the biblical fruit, God has not spoken, even though what they said has happened. That's the second level of scrutiny. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 to 3. How many people even think about that? If someone comes to me and says, Gee, this will happen to you tomorrow and it happened, we are likely all to say, God has spoken through that person. How many people will take time and say, Hmm, okay. What's, 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 what's their life? What's the rest of the story? You know? How do I apply all the testing tools given in the Bible with this? No. I just say, because especially when the things being said are good, nice things, we're likely to take and run away and say, God has spoken. We need to be careful. Testing every spirit if they are of God. We need to see, even when the things they say are fulfilled, we need to ask the question, are they drawing people after themselves or are they leading people to idolatry? Or are they pointing people to the Lord Jesus and his righteousness? That's what prophecy does. That's what two prophets do. They exalt the Lord in people's life and they point people to God's righteousness. And that was the misery of all the prophets. Bringing the heart of people to God. Upholding God's righteousness. If the prophecy does something different, God had not spoken. As simple as that. Test every spirit, whether they are of God. The biblical prophecies are not cunningly devised fables. No, they are not. They are not nice ta tales. No. The apostles say what we've announced to you is what we've seen, heard, and touched we were eyewitnesses. People like Dr. Luke, they say they searched carefully. Luke was a first-class researcher. He searched carefully and interviewed the people who had been with the Lord. He was commissioned to do that research for a very ranked authority, and he did it thoroughly. He says what? So that you may believe the accuracy of these things. Well, they were not just revelations, spiritually and dreams. No. Luke actually visited the places and the people and wrote down and documented with evidence that we may be established. He was part of the journey. He wrote the book of Acts. Those were facts. You see, the Bible speaks of real places, real people. So that our faith is not based on, uh, you know, superficial things, but on Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, for what? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly. Oh, English is very good. Thoroughly equipped. 
for every good work. Thoroughly. Not shaky. No. Thoroughly equipped. Furnished. Grounded. Rooted. Built. In the word of God. In truthfulness. Unto the work of the ministry. To be equipped. That's the reason why God has given ministries. To equip. To edify the church. To clarify things. But it has to come from God. For the building up of the church. And the perfecting of the saints. Why? So that we will not be like children. Carried away by every wind of doctrine. Tossed to and fro. You see again. The biblical teaching has a purpose. Well we've already been saved. Now we need the word of God in order to stand. To stand in truthfulness. And to serve the Lord truthfully and earnestly. That's why we need teaching. That's why we need these things to be explained to us. Both by ministries and by the Holy Spirit directly. Ephesians 4.11 The reason God has given ministries is for the equipping of the saints. The perfecting of the saints and the edification of the house of God. That's why we have ministries. It's not for arguments. It's not to be puffed up. It's not to be exalted. The only one who needs to be exalted is Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who is like the hands. And these are ministries. They're worth nothing without the rest of the hands. He's the one using them. And we need to understand that. I said last week, but it is the responsibility of us believers to decide what we want to do with what we hear week on week. It's our responsibility whether we want to grow, whether we choose to despise, whether we think it means nothing, whether that's everyone's responsibility. Our responsibility as leaders, teachers, etc., is to deliver to you that which the Lord has given to us. What you decide to do with it is your responsibility. And that includes rejecting. <clears throat> Second reading, First Peter chapter two, verse twenty. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-one. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Remember what we shared last week? The problem with cult and error is private interpretation. Private interpretation is the problem. Imposing a meaning, imposing my wish and my will in a text is the problem. We ask this question. In Jude 3, Jude was set himself to write to the believers concerning our common faith, salvation. And then he was diverted in his project. He said, I found it necessary to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
He wanted to write about salvation, Jude verse 3. And then in the midst of his project, he thought it necessary to write to the believers, asking them to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's exactly what we're doing this morning and every other day. Exhorting the believers to stand and contend for the truthfulness of the gospel as it was received. Any diversion is not of God. The question last week was this. Why would Jude ask the believers to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints if we can't recognize it? If any new thing can come and dilute everything, how would we recognize that this is the faith that was delivered once for all to the saints? How do we recognize it? If the, our faith doesn't have a story, history, and a journey, how, we recognize, how can we trust it back to the original in the New Testament? Surely there must be a steady and permanent journey. One generation passing the gospel, the Christian faith to another generation in faithfulness. Maintained, kept, and preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything new that contradicts the Bible needs to be thrown away. As simple as that. How do we recognize the faith? Once for all delivered to the same. If any new thing is coming, this, we look to the Bible, it contradicts, it's not supported by the Bible, we embrace it. How do we all lost then? It becomes a religious supermarket where anyone can pick and choose what he wants. Is that God of the Bible? Certainly no. Private interpretation. Prophecy cannot be of private interpretation. Any interpretation must align with the rest of the scripture. Fully. Fully. Not a bit of guessing, yeah, I think that means this. Yeah, I think a little bit. No. Fully align. From Genesis to Revelation. Not pick and choose and put a meaning on it. No. Because the prophet who's of old who spoke, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Can the Holy Spirit contradict himself? Can he say something else to Isaiah and then come today and say something different to you and I? The Holy Spirit? No. There must be a problem if it contradicts. It is our responsibility. When testing and discerning spirits, the application of the commandment given in 1 Thessalonians 5 requires humility, discernment, and boldness. I've got to recognize that I don't know everything. If God is manifesting, you know, the Holy Spirit in someone's life in a very uh, different way, I need to benefit from that because it's given for the profit of all, the Bible says. I should not be jealous and start fighting against that. No. We need God to raise even more ministries within us, don't we? We need the gift of the Holy Spirit in all of us. We all want to be spiritual. We all need to, be, to aspire to that. We all need to pray for one another. We want God to speak within each one of us here. Then we can move spiritually as a body. We don't want to be just a, you know, a conference room, an academic exercise. 
Now. These people spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are commanded to test all things, but we are also commanded not to quench the Holy Spirit or despise prophecies. To test all things at the same time, to not despise prophecy. Spiritual scrutiny and discernment are so much needed in the church these days. We've already mentioned Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You see, the Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit distributed the gift to the believers. Ministries are given to the church for the edifying of the body and the equipping of the saints. Spiritual gifts are given to individual believers for the profit of all. You know your Bible, you know those spiritual gifts. This is not a teaching about spiritual gifts that may come another time, God willing. But we just need to remind ourselves that we have three categories of them, as you know. We have the gift of revelation. They are called vocal, vocal gifts, or gift of revelation. But they have a nickname, just to confirm that English is a beautiful language. They are called showy gifts. You know, because when someone manifests those, you know, someone speaks in tongues, you know, if anyone is sitting there, is not speaking in tongues, you know, you ask yourself, oh, you know, if someone is prophesying, it looks so special. Now think of someone who is able to interpret. Wow. Someone speaking unknown tongue and someone is supernaturally interpreting that. Well, I don't have the gift of interpreting, but I think that extraordinary. You know, uh, Jeff, John's, John's dad, you know, has that gift. And, and he told me, he said, oh, gee, the most difficult time is when I need to open my mouth. Because everyone now is listening to interpretation. <laughs> he said to me that. You see. But it's supernatural. And if it's not there, no one can interpret. Even if someone speaks in tongue, we're just there and we're waiting. We give a few seconds, there's no one, and the service continues. But what does the Bible say? Pray that the Lord will grant the gift of interpretation. These simple things to do. And we pray and we pray and we pray. And since he went, Jeff, I'm talking about, since he went, we don't have the gift of interpretation here. If someone speaks in tongue, we keep quiet, and nothing is happening. So we need to pray that the Lord will grant. It is him who grants. I know that there was a, uh, sometime, uh, Brother John, you know, I think he has that gift as well. Yeah, I think he has, because he has interpreted once or twice as well. So we need to pray for those things in the church. But when those things happen, you, I think, oh, how does that happen? How can this person utter and interpret this? But when, when you speak in tongues, someone else as well is looking at you. How is that happening? But those things are for the profit of all. They are showy gifts because we still need to be careful. Uh, the people manifesting those gifts, they need to behave accordingly and be very careful, you see, because they are vocal. Everybody's looking at you. Everybody hears you saying that. So you begin to look a little bit special because if someone is not speaking in tongues, it's not professor, he looks at how he's coming. So you have to be very careful and remain humble. Showy gifts. Then you have gifts of power. The gift of power, you have faith, healings, 
and miracles. Like Elijah, he had those gifts. Some people have uh, those gifts of faith. When they speak to you about God, when they pray, the conviction they have, you think to yourself, yeah, I know, but you know, by all likelihood, I don't see how, but God knows. But people who have this gift when they pray, you know, George Miller, that's an example. Are you going to say that the gift of Caesar? That was a very, very, he had that gift. We know that. When he prayed, he believed in God. That's a gift of faith. You can try. You can live. Someone gifted me, you know, the autobiography of George Miller. I say, I'm going to find his secret. I still can't do anything that what he did, apart from knowing that he did it. That's a gift. Then you have the gift of inspirations. Now, this gift of inspiration here, this last category here, is usually manifest in mature believers. People who have great discernment. In this category, you have the discerning of the spirit. You have the word of knowledge. You have the word of wisdom. The reason why this manifests through mature believers is because they have to be able to distinguish between what is specifically from God and what is coming from themselves. Test every spirit includes my own spirit. Quite often some things look good and I give, you give this idea and you say God says, no, you better say I think. It doesn't make it any spiritual if we involve God in it. We have to be careful if God says. Example of the work of the Holy Spirit is full in the Bible. In Acts 13, you know, the believer, the disciple, they were praying together and the Holy Spirit says, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work unto which I've called them. That's a manifestation of a gift in a prayer meeting. And they were sent by God. And we know the outcome. What about in Acts 16, the slave girl? She was saying very good things, very nice things about the apostle. They are men of God. Follow them. They are men of God. The Bible said the apostle get utterly annoyed. And it was a spirit of python in it. You saying we don't need discernment? Really? How can you say someone has a bad spirit when they say godly things? Believe in them. Trust them. They are men of God. The apostle said now, this amount to flattery. God does not exalt to exalt men. For someone to go around telling you, you are a true man of God, you are a true preacher, you are this and that, that amount to flattery. God does not do that. He does not share his glory with a man. But it requires discernment for them to cast out the bad spirit in that time. Okay. In conclusion... Well, do you remember what happened with, uh, with Paul uh, when he was traveling to Rome? He told the helmsman that the journey will be very, very, very difficult. Do you remember what they say? They despised him. They despised him. He didn't have any experience in navigation. No. They despised him. We've been doing this for years. We've been doing this. You know nothing. Paul kept quiet. 
When things become to be troubles, Paul said you should have listened. But now, the Lord has appeared to me and said to me that no one will die, but we will lose the sheep. Now, stand up and eat, because it's been about 14 days you haven't eaten. They learn the hard way to listen when God speaks. You saying that? The gift of Jesus? Paul had a word of knowledge telling them and they despised it. We need the Lord to lead the church. His ways. Now, in conclusion, we will let this picture, the, the, the scripture itself conclude for us. For us. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus on the same night in, in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ came in the flesh and he died for our sin, for remission of our sin. He shed his blood for us. Anyone who denies that, denying that Christ came in flesh means denying all this, what he accomplished. That is not the spirit of God. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. The ministers of the devil disguise themselves as apostles of righteousness in order to deceive. We need to be watchful and discerning. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to bless you, Lord. We say thank you, Lord, for the privilege of sharing the word of God. We pray, Lord, for the receiving hearts and my own heart, that, Lord, you keep us humble under your mighty hands and that you be exalted in this congregation as well as in our hearts. We lift your name on high. You are sitting in the right hand of the Father, highly exalted, May you be highly exalted in our heart as well. Teach us your ways. Grant us, Lord, fill us and renew, baptize us with the spirit of discernment, of the knowledge of God, of understanding, of boldness, of humility, unity, that, Lord, we might be pleasing to you. We commit each one here unto your holy hand and we pray that the Holy Spirit of the promise of the living God will bring increase in our hearts. Lord, we are not here, Lord, to contemplate a man. We are here for Jesus Christ. We are here to exalt Jesus Christ, the overall, living head of the body. We pray that, Lord, you draw our heart near to closer to you every day, Lord. We now commit the rest of our day and beyond unto your holy hands.
Bless, Lord, the coming week. Bless us as we depart from this place in the name of Jesus. Keep us, Lord, away from the works of the enemy. Preserve us, Lord, from the, the spirit of error. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.